Well, good morning, friends. It is great to be in worship with you this morning, whether you're here in the sanctuary, down in the Fellowship Hall, in Fairfax, or watching online. My name is Matt, and I serve as the pastor of missions here in our Capital Press family. And whether you'll be spending the rest of your day knocking on your neighbor's doors or nailing your grievances to them, ask a, uh, ask a reformed nerd on your way out about that joke. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. We're continuing our series, The Storytelling Savior, where we've been looking at the stories that Jesus tells and what they mean for our lives. What we've seen is that these stories aren't disconnected moral fables about how to be better people, right? This isn't tortoise in the hare or any of other Aesop's fables. Rather, Jesus is telling us these stories to immerse us in another world, to describe to us a truer world that he calls the kingdom of heaven, a world that's actually breaking into our present reality. It's not just a future kingdom, but it's a present reality. Jesus has told stories about how we enter that kingdom, how that kingdom grows, what it will look like when that kingdom finally appears. But in Matthew 20, we've come to a story about what life in that kingdom looks like. So before we dive into this passage together, let's go to God and ask him to help us understand it. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has not remained silent, but you have spoken, you have made yourself known. Would your Holy Spirit come now and be our teacher, that we may better understand your grace and its implications for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 20, parables of laborers in the vineyard. What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, if you take the story at face value, it looks like uh, an eccentric boss, bad accounting, complaining employees and unfair wages, right? This is less a picture of the kingdom of God than it is your office on a Wednesday. Uh, Now, as earthy and as relatable as this story is, there's actually more that's going on beneath the surface. Jesus is telling us this story to reveal something about our hearts. Uh, He's telling us something that's actually poisoned and infected our hearts, and he's showing us how life in the kingdom is the cure for our souls. So do you want my sentence, uh, sermon in a sentence this morning? Here it is. Life in the kingdom rejects envy and entitlement by rejoicing in God's grace and justice. Life in the kingdom rejects envy and entitlement by rejoicing in God's grace and justice. And isn't that a wonderful vision of life? Like when you reach the end of your days, don't you want to be known as a person who is, whose life is marked by joy and not by envy or entitlement? It's a, it's a beautiful vision of life, but how do we get there? Well, this story will help us understand that path. And so let's unpack this sentence together, taking it in two parts, all right? Part one, life in the kingdom rejects envy and entitlement. All right, that's the poison that Jesus identifies, envy and entitlement. And these, these feelings come so naturally to us, don't they? Right? There's, first, there's envy. There's, it's that resentful awareness of a good thing that another person enjoys. Not, not just an awareness of it, but a resentful awareness of it. Our society is built on cultivating envy. Right? You scroll through Instagram and you see the pictures of an epic vacation that a friend of yours is taking, and you start to feel jealous or, or maybe you hear about a friend who does better on an exam than you did, despite the fact that you know you studied much harder and longer than they did, and you, and you feel a bit resentful. Or, or maybe you open up Facebook, and then there's Supermom, right, homeschooling her seven kids, and each one has a craft prepared for them while she's making her own organic baby food and has a side business that makes more than working in an office. Like, how does she have all that time? Uh, or... 
or, or did anyone else spend an inordinate amount of time on Zillow while stuck at home over this past year? Is it, is it just me? Um, we all know the experience of envy. We also know, are familiar with the, the, the feeling of entitlement, right? That, that belief that I'm exempt from certain responsibility and that I'm owed special treatment, right? It, it's a common uh, word that's in our culture now, and it's not just something that millennials are guilty of, right? Although we all expect to graduate college and immediately be handed our dream job. Um, entitlement looks a number of different ways. Maybe it looks like for you working a long day uh, at the office and then coming home with the expectation that the, the, the house will be clean, your spouse can't wait to ask you about your day, a hot meal is ready, the kids are well behaved, Netflix is queued up with the next show in the series that you're binging. Uh, or put the shoe on the other foot, maybe uh, there's the expectation that when your spouse comes home that right after they hang up their, their jacket, they'll tag in to immediately relieve you of kid duty, that they'll start putting dinner together, that they'll create space so that you can have a little bit of you time, right? How, how's that working out for you? Uh, we, we've all experienced the feeling of, of being entitled after a long day of struggle and sacrifice. And you, you know what? So do the workers in this parable. Do you see that at the conclusion of this story? That after the end of a long and grueling day, right? The body is tired. The mind is empty. Uh, the muscles are cramped and, and the hands are blistered. There, there's a group of workers who are at the end of the line waiting for their paycheck. And they witness what they deem to be an injustice, Standing in front of them are, are other workers who've come to work in the same field that they've been working in, some only for nine hours, some for six, some for three, and at the very front of the line are just a handful of workers who come for one hour of work, and they find out that everyone else in front of them in line has been paid just as much as they've been paid. Right? They, they, they think they've witnessed an injustice, and they, they experience envy. Right? They're resentful that they worked more uh, and, and got the same amount as, as everybody else who worked far less. They feel entitled as well. They, they feel like that because they've worked more, they should have deserved more. Now, if we're honest, we, we get where these workers are coming from, right? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you resonate with their complaint? Wouldn't you want to be an advocate and speak up for your, for your fellow workers? Their, their complaint seems, seems right. Like, they go to the boss. It's not fair. We worked more than other people. Our paycheck should reflect that, or at least their paycheck should reflect that. Uh, wouldn't we also speak up for, for the boss, right? Like don't, like, don't you know that you can't run a business this way? Like, how do you ever expect to turn a profit if you keep throwing money out the, out the door like that? Like, I'm looking out for you, really. Now, but, but, when the, but when they raise their complaint to the manager, the, the manager actually doesn't take their side and agree with them. Rather, he, he rebukes them. If you have your Bible open in verse 15, you'll notice that uh, there's a footnote to, to the sentence, do you begrudge my generosity? Now, the, the translators of this passage did their best to translate a first century uh, idiom or phrase, um, but it actually blunts what, what the manager is actually trying to get across. Instead of saying, do you begrudge my generosity? You read in the footnote, he says, is your eye bad or evil because I am good? He, he's accusing them uh, of being envious with, with that evil eye being a first century way of saying that you're green with envy, right? You're just jealous and entitled. And so rather than taking their side, the master says uh, to them, you are the evil ones. I, I'm not in the wrong here. We had an agreement. You're, you're just being envious and entitled. And so he rebukes them and sends them on their way. Now, why does Jesus tell this story now? Why does he take the time to put his finger on envy and entitlement? Well, 
take a second and zoom out from our passage here, flip back to chapter 19, and you'll notice what's just happened before this moment. Jesus is with his disciples, and they're traveling south to Jerusalem. And and two times already on this journey, Jesus has told his followers that this is a one-way ticket for him. Right? He's going to that city to suffer, die, and to rise again. And as they go, they encounter this rich young ruler who wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, great, I'd love to have you. But first, you need to go and sell everything that you own. And then, then you can come and follow me. And as that young man walks away sad, unwilling to part with his wealth, Jesus turns to his followers and says that because they were willing to do what this young man was unwilling to do, give up everything to follow Jesus, they're actually going to receive some staggering rewards, right? They're going to sit on 12 thrones and they're going to receive this incalculable wealth of an, of an inheritance. Uh, now, this 12 thrones talk actually grips the disciples' minds so much that when you get to the end of Matthew 20, you see James and John's mom asking Jesus, like, hey, can my two boys sit on, on the right throne and on the left throne in your kingdom? Uh, which makes me think that like, when we come to this parable, uh, this, it's actually going in the disciples' ear and, and then out the other. Like, they're not really paying attention to this story. Uh, but, but do you see how Jesus telling this story now starts to make a little bit more sense? Uh, in effect, Jesus is saying that there is a reward that comes with following me, right? A, a huge reward. Uh, life with me is, be- is infinitely better than life without me. But, but don't get it twisted, right? You're not receiving this reward because of anything that you've done. It's, you're receiving this reward because I'm giving it to you freely, right? Remember where the disciples uh, came from, how they started following Jesus in the first place, right? The disciples weren't savvy investors looking for an opportunity, right? They, they were fishing when Jesus found them and Jesus went to where they were and called them out to go and follow him. And so Jesus is telling them not to bind into the belief that because they started following Jesus early that they're entitled to more later, in fact, when, when you see others come and believe in me, Jesus says, and, and their lives look a lot better and more comfortable than yours, don't, don't be envious, right? Rejoice with them that they're receiving the same reward that you're receiving. See, Jesus tells the story about envy and entitlement because he knows his disciples' hearts. And, and friends, if we're honest, this story is still relevant because Jesus knows our hearts as well. Jesus knows how quickly Uh, our selfish hearts can turn our sacrifice and service for God into expecting things of God. This past summer at our annual staff retreat, we had uh, Dr. Jim Cofield come and speak to our staff. And he said something back in July that's stuck with me ever since. He said that sacrifice will always turn into entitlement unless grace intervenes, right? Sacrifice will always turn into entitlement unless grace intervenes. It's it's this natural tendency of the human heart to take, uh, to justify ourselves because of all of our service and sacrifice in our relationship with God and with other people. It's, it's this tendency that, that, causes, uh, our, that causes us to zone out when we come home at the end of a long day and neglect our family or our, or our roommates because we've, we've, just, we've just worked to the limit in the office. It's how we justify going to that website at the, at the end of a long day because we've given so selfishly to other people without so much as a thank you. It's how church leaders have rationalized their anger, their abuse, their lust because of all the great things that they're doing for God. It's, it's even how church members have this expectation of God to bless them abundantly because they, they give and serve so sacrificially. Friends, do you see how subtle these temptations are for envy, for entitlement? 
right? None of, us, none of us wakes up in the morning wanting to be an envious or entitled person, but in a million small ways, we become that kind of person. And so you see why we should reject envy and entitlement when they present themselves in our lives, right? They, they, they turn our eye evil and they distort reality. And if these things are so pernicious and evil in our earthly relationships, how much more deadly and destructive is envy and entitlement in our relationship with God, right? If, if our earthly relationships are strained because we think other people owe us something, how much more deadly is it if we think that God owes us something? Envy and entitlement are dangerous because they drain the joy out of our relationships and, and they turn God and other people into objects for us to use rather than treasures to be enjoyed. See, what we envy reveals what we're actually living for. So take some time today and throughout this week to interrogate your envy, interrogate your entitlement. What do, what do the things that you envy in others or what, the, what are the things that you feel entitled to reveal in your heart about what you truly worship? When left unchecked, envy and entitlement act like a poison that, to our souls that, destroy, that slowly destroys ourselves and those around us. And that's not an overstatement. We all have relationships that have been damaged or strained by envy and entitlement, either by, by those feelings that we experience or by the, the feelings that others experience. Uh, and, and in fact, if you go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 15, and when you see the religious leaders hand Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified, you know the, the root sin that motivated all of their action, Mark 15, 10 tells us, was envy. Envy, when left unchecked, leads to the death and destruction of ourselves and those around us. And because Jesus loves us, because he, because he knows how poisonous these things are to our souls, Jesus tells this story to help us see it in ourselves and to call us out of it to a better way. And so once we see how deadly envy and entitlement are to our lives, how do we reject it? Right? How do we say no? Well, first off, the answer isn't by trying harder, lest you become envious of people who are less envious or entitled because you're not feeling so entitled anymore. No, we, we, we reject envy and entitlement by doing what Jim Cofield said. We let grace intervene. We let grace intervene. So part one, we, life in the kingdom rejects envy and entitlement. Part two, by rejoicing in God's justice and grace. Right? We, we reject the one by, by doing the other. Now, you can enjoy anything about God and it can be a cure for your souls, but in this parable, Jesus identifies two things for us to particularly rejoice in that, that will lead us out of entitlement and envy. Those two things are, are God's grace and God's justice. So first, rejoice in God's grace towards you and to other people. As we read this parable, it's all too easy for us to, fix our, to fixate on the apparent injustice in this parable, right? That there's unequal pay for unequal work. But remember that these stories are glimpses of another kingdom, right? They're, they're, they're a picture of another world. And, and because this, this takes place on, on a different turf, right? That this story isn't taking place on our turf, but on God's turf. We, we should leave behind any expectation of earthly merit and reward. See, in the kingdom of God, the way into that kingdom is only ever by grace and by grace alone. No one gets into that kingdom by their own effort or merit, but rather because the master of the vineyard has sought you out and brought you in to work in his field. Remember how this story began. The workers in this vineyard didn't wake up on the property, right? They, they didn't wake up part of, of the master's household working in his field. Rather, the master of the house went out and sought them out and brought them into his vineyard. 
right? No one in this church who's a Christian is a Christian because God saw something in you that he needed, right? God didn't look down from heaven and say, wow, look at that person. What a talent. I need them on my team, right? No, God looks at us poisoned as we are by envy and entitlement. And he sent his son, Jesus, to bring us in. In fact, not only did God send Jesus to to go and bring us in, Jesus came to be excluded so that we could be included. Because God knows how envy isolates and how entitlement suffocates, because he knows how sin separates and kills, Jesus came into our world to absorb the separation that, uh, to absorb the separation that envy creates, to, to experience the alienation from God that our sin deserves so that we would be brought into his presence and never, and never excluded from, from the presence of God. And how is Jesus able to do this? Well, because he's the only person who perfectly rejected envy and entitlement. He's the only person who ever perfectly reject envy and entitlement. At every moment in his life when he could have envied others, right, and, and Jesus being penniless and homeless throughout his whole ministry, you bet he had occasions to envy other people. He rejected, he rejected it every single time, choosing again to, to trust his Father in heaven and to suffer unjustly. And rather than feeling entitled, right, as Philippians 2 tells us, rather than clinging to his status as God, right, rather than than viewing equality with God as as a thing to hold on to, he emptied himself and he took the form of a man, of a servant, uh, of even dying on the cross, right? The one person in all the cosmos who is justified in being entitled gave it all up so that you and I could be sons and daughters in his kingdom. And, And do you start to see now how the gospel cures us of envy, Right? Once we see that, that, that if God has given us everything that we need in Jesus, there is nothing that we need to be envious of in others. Once we recognize the generosity and grace of the giver, we're able to rejoice in not only what we've been given, but we can also rejoice in what other people are, are being given as well through the generosity and grace of God. See, there's a leadership principle that says time in erodes awareness of, meaning that the longer that you're a part of a system, the more you become blind to and take for granted uh, the environment that you're in. Jesus tells this parable to us to wake us up, to to make us aware of of all that he's already given to us in his son, Jesus Christ. See, there is a way to live free from envy and entitlement. And it's found not in the feeling that God owes us something, but it's an understanding that he's already given everything to you. He's not withheld from you any good thing, even his own son. And if he hasn't held back even Jesus, won't he also give us all things? Envy and entitlement in God's vineyard are starting to be transformed into joyful obedience. But secondly, we're set free from envy and entitlement, not just by rejoicing in God's grace, but also by rejoicing in his justice. Um, What does that mean? mean? What does that look like? Well, if you're like me, when you think of the justice of God, your mind immediately goes to uh, how God will perfectly reward good and punish evil at the end of all things, right? That how his standard is perfect and he never errs in his judgment. Now that's good and true, but there's another aspect of God's justice uh, that we often assume and don't quickly and, and aren't quick to dwell on, but, it, but it's that when we say that God is just, we mean that he's always consistent in his character and that what he says he will do, he always does without fail. That, that, his, that his character, his nature, his words, his actions are always in alignment and never in contradiction with each other. Like what God says he will do, 
he will do to the full. And here's how that truth connects with our story. You notice in verses 2 and 13, uh, the master of the vineyard and these initial laborers, uh, they, they come to an agreement on a wage. And at the end of the day, the master gives them exactly what he said he would give them. Now, if, if that doesn't seem amazing to you, it's because, it's because just what we talked about, you're not, you're not starting to understand the generosity and grace of the giver. Uh, but, you're also, but, if it, but if it doesn't amaze you, you're also not understanding the, the actual size of the gift that comes from this master's hand. See, friends, when we just talked about the generosity of the giver. But, but do you also see the size of the gift that you've been given? That, that in Christ, you receive nothing less than everything that God said he would give you, right? That, that in Christ, you receive nothing less than all the promises of God, right? What kind of promises are those? What, what does that look like? It, that, that means that, that if you're a Christian, the, the very floor of your compensation, right? The, the base salary of every Christian is resurrection and everlasting life. It means forgiveness of every sin, past, present, and future. It, it means it means receiving in Christ a friend that sticks closer than a brother who will never leave you or forsake you. It, it means having an advocate in Jesus Christ who promises to speak a good word over you that no word of condemnation can drown out. It means having access to a power through the Holy Spirit that gives you all that you need to live the life that God has called you to live and the, and the life that deep down you really want to live. It means that God is committed to your growth and grace and, and he guarantees that you will become complete in Christ Jesus. It means that one day your body will be restored and, and that the world will be renewed and that you will dwell with God forever. Friends, God has given you exactly what he said he would give you. And when you start to peel back the layers of what exactly that means, you realize that you've been given far more than you could ever ask or imagine. The more that you look at what you've been given, the more reason you have to rejoice in God's gift to you. So what does life in the kingdom look like? Life in the kingdom rejects envy and entitlement by rejoicing in God's grace and justice. This parable is an invitation to us to be cured of your envy and entitlement and to experience the freedom of being in Jesus. His friends, don't wait until the 11th hour to come to him. Life to live with Jesus is a life without regret. Many of us have been reminded of that recently through Wilma Cross's visit to us last week. Um, I had the privilege of spending uh, more time than, than, than average being, being around Wilma, being the missions pastor. And without fail, uh, whenever you ask her about her experience on the field of, of serving in Chile for 48 years in women's prisons and orphanages and schools, and you ask her how she did it, without fail, she'll, she'll raise her finger up to the sky and, and, and she'll hold it up there just long enough that it's awkward that you don't look at it and acknowledge it. Um, but she'll lift her finger up to the, to the heavens and say, it's because of how good God has been to me, right? God has given me everything that I've needed. And while it has been difficult, his grace has been sufficient for me, right? The beauty of Christ shines through Wilma's testimony because we see a life that's animated by joy, right? A life that, that, that rejected envy and entitlement and has embraced God's grace and his justice, and, and it brings her great joy. When, when we look at lives like Wilma's, marked by such joy in the gospel, we see that, that living a life motivated by envy and entitlement isn't just undesirable, it, it's just silly, 
Why would we settle for anything less than the joy of being in Jesus Christ? Experiencing the reward that only the gospel gives us. We all want to live lives marked by joy. And Jesus came into this world to make it possible for us to do that this day and every day. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your son Jesus Christ came into our world to be excluded so that we could be brought in and included. Help us to not be envious or resentful people, but rather help us to be a people that rejoice in your grace, fully understanding all that we've been given in Christ. And would we, would we be set free from entitlement and, and set free to follow you and to serve others joyfully and obediently? We pray this in his name. Amen.